You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, it's Hélène Massicot, and you're on the What's Up Next podcast. This is Chris Mamula, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is James Lowry, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, today we have a question that is, what is the connection between financial independence, physical fitness, and nutrition? We have three different perspectives on the subject, and we're going to have each of them do a quick introduction. Helen, could you start first, please? Certainly. Uh, my name is Hélène Massicot. I write at freetopursue.com and you can also find me on YouTube at Free to Pursue. Wonderful. Thanks for being here today. Chris, can you go next, please? This is Chris Mamula, early retired uh, athletic trainer and physical therapist, and I now write at the blog caniretireyet.com. We're looking forward to hearing more from you. James Lowry, can you give us a quick introduction, please, sir? Absolutely. Uh, my name is James Lowry. My wife and I blog at RethinkTheRatRace.com. We're kind of vegan and we're very into the fitness world. All right. So we're going to start a little differently today. I'm going to run down the whole panel and Helen, I'm going to start with you. Tell me what your perfect day looks like. How about doing everything I want to on my terms? That is my perfect day. And from day to day, I will have different interests, different pursuits, and different commitments I want to honor. And so I don't really have days that tend to mimic one another. The only standing commitment I have is that I am a kinesiologist and I do train people. And of course, that involves appointments. But that is a part-time endeavor and it is a uh, labor of love. All right, Chris, same question. If you could plan out your perfect day, what kind of activities would you do? I don't know that I have a single perfect day, but as I sit here, I'm kind of looking out. We live in the mountains in Utah. We just moved here. And I think I'm still in that honeymoon phase. So it'd probably be something out in the mountains, skiing, hiking, mountain biking, climbing. One of those or a combination of those activities is what I'd love to be doing. And Jim, same question goes to you. If tomorrow I said you're completely off and you can do whatever you want, what kind of things would you find yourself doing? I would probably start out the morning doing a little bit of riding. I would wait until lunch to eat and uh, probably do some biking, probably to the gym, actually, and uh, with my wife. And we would probably spend a couple hours working out and then go explore. 
You know, it's kind of interesting because all three of you mentioned physical types of activities as part of your perfect day. And the thing about financial independence, I think we all get into it one way or another because we want to have that option. What am I going to do today? And I find it interesting that for us, that often has to do with getting out, being outside, or doing some type of exercise. So, Helen, I would send this question to you. What came first, your interest in physical activity or your interest in financial independence? They weren't that far apart. The physical fitness, I got interested in that when I was a a teenager, 15 or 16. I um, was just fascinated by women who were strong, strong bodies, strong minds. And then around age 20, I stumbled on the idea of financial independence via a couple of movies, The Matrix and American Beauty. Within those four years, really mapped who I was going to be as a person. I just didn't know it yet. So Chris, I'm interested in this idea of people's why of FI. And when I read a lot of your writing, you talk about climbing and hiking and skiing. Is physical activity part of your why of FI? To answer your earlier question, I definitely was into physical activity as long as I can remember. I grew up playing organized sports. And then as I got older, I got into the outdoor community and I kind of was attracted to, in climbing, there's a term of being a dirt bag. It's a term of endearment. So one of my original thought processes is as I started to get more involved with this community, I noticed like the happiest and most passionate people I knew were these quote unquote dirt bags or ski bombs. Uh, but they were also always one step away from disaster. And then I would go back to my professional life. I knew a lot of other professionals and particularly doctors and physical therapists, and they all made pretty good money. And there was a lot of unhappiness and just dissatisfaction. So I, I developed this concept of a dirt bag millionaire where I kind of combined the best of both worlds and uh, live basically cheap. And that's how I developed my savings rate. And then I ended up stumbling into the FI community later after making a lot of mistakes with finance. And I basically knew nothing about finance. So I was probably in my mid thirties. James, I like this idea of the dirtbag millionaire. And part of the reason is, is, you know, those of us who do like to pursue physical fitness, whether it's in a gym or out there climbing to the top of a peak, we spend money, right? So we have to spend money pursuing some of these interests, some of these dreams. And in fact, As Chris mentioned, a lot of those we call them ski bums, right? Because they're not out there working, they're on the slopes. So are they compatible, financial independence and this physical activity? I mean, this sounds kind of costly to me. I think uh, not only are they compatible, but they actually lend themselves to each other. You know, they can delay gratification of, you know, physical health along with physical health. And uh, my wife and I, we don't call it dirtbag millionaires, we call it the unsexy millionaire um, (laughs) because there's not many millionaires that you see riding their bikes around, so... I like this idea, Helen, of physical health and financial health. If I read correctly, you did some physical fitness coaching and volunteering your some, some time to the underserved. Is that right? Yes, I did for a full year. And it gave me a, um, a new perspective on their specific physical, social needs that we all have. And what I realized was that there is a point where you can get so low in your life that your physical well-being is not a priority because you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from or where you're going to sleep that night. And I had a lot of folks coming in the gym, but they were only there because they were on the cusp of being over that problem. They were going to have an apartment to go to. They were going to have something. And so these people were trainable in the physical realm. 
basically at, at a soup kitchen because at the building I was in where I volunteered as a trainer had kind of the gamut from people coming right off the street for a meal to folks who were in transition. And it was really only the people who were in transition who knew their belly was going to be full and knew where they were going to sleep that night who could actually have the mental capacity to work out. Chris, I like words, right? Because words, they convey ideas. So we use the word strong when we're talking about finances, right? We say someone is financially strong, but then we also use the word strong where we talk about physically strong. Is it the same personality that drives us to be physically fit as it is that drives us to be financially fit? It's pretty interesting. When we were kind of just waiting to get on the call, Elena and I were just kind of talking, but I think there's a lot of overlap between physical health and fiscal health. For one thing, I think a lot of people think with both of them, it takes a lot of work and sacrifice and they, they kind of get intimidated and they, they never want to get started. And a lot of people just do things wrong. And so they end up injuring themselves, whether financially or physically. And so there's, yeah, there's a lot of overlap and they kind of tie in together really well. And I kind of find going from the physical health to starting to write about personal finance, it was kind of an easy transition because they are so similar. Yeah. Speaking of the similarity, one thing I see, James, is that in the financial independence community, people look at physical activity and physical fitness as a way to cut down on healthcare costs. Do you buy that? Does that make sense or not so much? I absolutely agree with it because actually my route to fitness was through my family because my father died at an early age from uh, complications with diabetes. Both of my grandparents have diabetes. And so um, I come from, you know, a family in the deep South where health isn't necessarily a priority. And, you know, you can see how much that affects them as far as like anything from transportation to getting around at home to what they eat and different things like that. And I think it, it obviously add an incredible amount of cost, which is partially why my wife and I have chosen to go vegan because, you know, not only do we think we can eat cheaper and healthier, but, you know, there are now uh, life insurance companies that are giving discounts to people that are vegan. So I think that they've obviously done their research and know that, you know, the, the likelihood of, you know, certain diseases are probably lower to people that are uh, that mindful about what they're eating. Ellen, I'd like to kind of push over to you because one thing that James mentioned was his family members and diabetes. And I know that physical fitness is important to you because some of your family history. Do you want to talk a little bit about your mom and dad and some of their medical problems? Sure. My dad passed away at age 46 of a massive heart attack on the first day of a six-week vacation, which I think is just so wrong. But essentially, that really shook me uh, quite a bit. And my mother had a heart attack at age, I think, 54. And that day, the day she had her heart attack is the day that I signed up to become a personal trainer. Now, I didn't know anything about kinesiology at that point, but it certainly got me on the journey. And it made it very clear to me that I have what I call bad genes. So I wanted to essentially stack the deck in my favor and give myself a health bank account by making myself many times stronger, my system many times healthier than might be quote unquote deemed healthy so that I could have a little bit of personal insurance. And to me, that's not very different from me stacking the deck in my bank account and giving myself a padding that way. So I feel like I have a fiscal padding and I have a fitness padding and that gives me a lot of peace of mind. 
Chris, I'm wondering your thoughts on that. You know, we talk about risk mitigation by getting insurance, right? So we get life insurance and we get health insurance. We get homeowners insurance. Is physical fitness another type of insurance important for the financially independent person? I mean, I would say yes and no. So on one hand, I totally agree with both of them just said about uh, you're stacking the deck in your favor and you're doing the things you can control. Uh, One thing that does kind of concern me it may be getting a little bit more into a different issue, but I think some people think that like this FI lifestyle, like a magical thinking, like once I get FI, then everything in my life is going to be perfect. And it, it just doesn't have to be that way. I, and I think that we need to prioritize our fitness early. Like you shouldn't wait until you're FI to start doing things. And, and like you can be doing things at the same time. I think that's a really key and important point because if you think I'm going to wait till I'm FI to start you know, sleeping better, I'm going to wait to FI to start eating better, to start exercising. I think there's a big fallacy there and that just, it doesn't work that way. Like your priorities aren't going to just magically change. It's something you should start working on as you're on the process to FI, not waiting until. Yeah, James, I'm wondering about some of the fallacies that Chris talked about, because I think there's sometimes multiple fallacies we have in the financial independence realm about health and fitness. And one of those is that you can make up for the risk of health problems or black swan events by just being healthy. And we had Tanya on from Our Next Life, and she kind of gave us a warning. And she said, you know, there's a part of this community that thinks if they just work out and exercise, they don't have to be wary of medical bills or they don't have to plan in the future for possible medical problems. Is that something you're encountering in the financial independence community that people may be even putting their heads in the sand saying, boy, if I just am physically active, if I just eat well, I don't have to worry about healthcare costs in the future? I do think that obviously, you know, healthcare costs are another thing entirely, but by being physically active and physically fit, the likelihood of recovering from something that potentially could be minor, like a cold or a flu or a small injury or something like that, the the recovery period would be so much quicker for someone who is physically active than, than it would be for someone who is stagnant. But I do absolutely agree that there are some people that probably do put their head in the sand and say, once I hit FI, I can work out five days a week and I'll never get sick. And that's clearly not the case. Helen, I'd like to transition a little bit We've been talking a lot about physical fitness as a companion to financial independence, but there's this also this question of can physical fitness actually be a road or a path to financial independence? I know you have a degree in kinesiology and you do a lot of personal training. Is that one of the pathways to financial independence is getting into the business of physical fitness? I would argue that folks who think they're going to make a ton of money, personal training, they probably need to give their heads a shake. Unless you work at a university, unless you work at a research facility as a kinesiologist, you have that chance of actually making it a great profession. Uh, University work is probably what uh, pays the most, at least here in Canada. I have this as a passion project. I took a six-figure hit to be a kinesiologist. I had a very good job in corporate Canada. I am doing this because I see it transform lives and I see people become better versions of themselves the other 23 hours in the day. And that is the most rewarding work that I do. Now, I did stack the deck again in my favor by setting up the business in our home. We have the permits and everything to do it. I have 900 square feet. I train up to four people at a time. The only reason I am doing this is because I have that set up. And what that allowed me to do was what I call brain and brawn. 
I do my brain work in morning to afternoon, whatever it is that I want to do, whether it's, it's reading on personal finance, behavioral psychology, those types of things, writing that, that kind of activity in the afternoon and evening, I train people. The biggest reward for me is really seeing in front of my eyes, people become better versions of themselves. They come to see me because they think they need to lose weight. They want to look you know, better naked, whatever it is you want to call it. And then they end up seeing that what they do at work is transformed. Their relationships are transformed because they fundamentally feel different. It's so much more than lifting a few dumbbells. So for you, financial independence doesn't matter in the sense that you keep doing what you're doing regardless of where you were financially. Is that a fair statement? I mean, definitely financial independence let me leave a significant salary behind. And I think that financial independence at one point, it rewires your brain in a way not to be part of the rat race because you actually don't care about the aspirational nature of the rat race. You realize that it's not a destination that you're actually living your life day to day with experiences on the daily. And unfortunately, our society kind of teaches us that it'll be better tomorrow, it'll be better tomorrow. The moment you realize that what's better is to make the most of today in your personal growth, personal development and satisfaction, it has nothing to do with consumerism. You are so, so, so much ahead. And you do make time for exercise because you're living in the present, you're not living in the future. And that's a huge shift in the way we think about life, really. Chris, tell me a little bit about physical fitness as a job, as opposed to as a passion. So as a physical therapist, you obviously were doing restorative work, but I certainly would consider what physical therapists do as part of physical fitness. You've since left that job. Is that correct? I got into that. I always had a passion for exercise and fitness and health, and I still have that passion. I've not lost that at all. What I've definitely lost the passion for was working in the American healthcare system. It, it burnt me out. So what I'm kind of looking for now are how are some of those ways, kind of like Elen talked about, to apply these interests and these passions that I have in a different way outside of a traditional medical system. So for example, tomorrow is actually my first day I'm going to start. I'm volunteering. Um, we live right on the backside of Snow Basin Ski Resort, and they have a adaptive ski program. So I'm going to start volunteering and just kind of see, a, is that a fit for my skills? And can I contribute there in a way that serves people without having to deal with all the administrative and the paperwork and the time commitments of doing it full time? So we'll, we'll kind of see where things go. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. And I'd like to push that same kind of question over to James. Have you found a way to make physical fitness part of your actual financial independence pathway to either volunteer or create revenue streams through your interest? I used to manage a fitness facility and gym, essentially. And so I went through all the, the processes of, you know, becoming a group instructor, a fitness instructor, like a personal trainer, speed and strength coach. Like I went through all of of the things that anybody that would work for me would have to do. And actually immediately once I quit that and when I found out about financial independence, the fire movement, everything like that, I actually started doing online personal training. And so that was my side hustle for a while was offering powerlifting coaching and uh, like physique coaching for bodybuilding and physique competitions. And I would do diet plans. I did practically everything all the way down to posing coaching. And, and so I definitely utilized that as a side hustle, as an income stream. And by doing it online, you know, it took less of my time away from the other, my nine to five that I actually make money at, you know, or at least the bulk of my money at. So you can definitely pursue a passion that is physical fitness as a side hustle or as a complete job toward reaching financial independence for sure. Uh, you know, some of them just don't pay as much as others potentially. 
So, Helen, we talk a lot and we are talking a lot about physical fitness, but there's another portion to this whole thing is nutrition. Mm -hmm. And we know that for most communities, the three top things they spend their money on is housing, food, and cars. So, nutrition and eating is a big part of financial independence. Have you seen that your attempts to be healthy have been hard on the budget or easier on the budget? There's a really interesting statistic in a book called Happy Money by Michael Norton and Elizabeth Dunn. And their stat was that only 9% of the household budget is spent on food. If you compare that to European countries, their number is in the 20s, high 20s. They value quality of food far more than North Americans. So I'm just going to put that out there. There is, it is not, food is not a huge impact on the budget for most people. Now, I did publish on my blog a couple of years ago, three years ago maybe, that our food budget monthly was $947. Now, that's in Canadians. Call it uh, 650, maybe 700 US. And I got the weirdest comments on the blog with this idea that, and I think it was on Twitter that there was this, holy cow, how much is she spending per month? And that was because we were buying the good stuff. We are foodies. We eat great things. We don't go out to restaurants. We do not do takeout. We prepare everything ourselves. And food is a delightful aspect of our entertainment, frankly. So it's good for us. And it also tastes fantastic. I would always definitely get food my husband makes compared to anything I could order in the restaurant. That's part of why we don't go out. And so to me, this idea that food is an expense that is annoying, like your heating bill, I find that atrocious. And I would delight in people rediscovering the joys of food made at home and really good food. Uh, Just to kind of second that, I mean, I think we kind of, when we started to learn about fire and FI and and, uh, we got kind of sucked into the whole frugality thing. And after we had our child, my wife started having a lot of autoimmune type symptoms and she went and different doctors wanted to put her on different medicines and, and they didn't know what was going on. And we just weren't willing to go that road. So we started researching diet and we've gotten very serious about, we eat mostly organic and kind of like Elaine, uh, our, our food budget, I think a lot of people would probably gasp at. But I think, again, like we talked about, I don't think you can magically think you can control everything, but you can stack the odds. And that's definitely something that we try to do. And we eat almost all organic, very low grain. She's gone gluten-free. I have not, but we look at it as an investment. Whether it's worth it or not, I don't know. And I guess you never can definitively say, but we're certainly going to take our chances and go that route. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. 
Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Yeah, I really like thinking and talking about food and nutrition a lot because of all the things that we can hack and improve in financial independence, it's the only thing we can't completely eliminate. We can eliminate our cost of transportation by riding our bikes and uh, effectively, you know, and we can house hack and actually get paid for living someplace. But I haven't figured out a way to get paid eating. And if I can ever figure that out, then I, <laughs> I need to change the profession because I, I'm a foodie as well. And it was funny when Elena was talking about her price, I thought she was talking about how low it was, not how high it was. Because effectively in our dollars, I guess it would be $700 a month for a family of four in my case. That would be tough for me. She has a family of two. So, okay, that's per person that's quite a bit higher. Two of the two of, of mine are her kids and they don't eat a lot. So, uh, most of it's going to me and my wife. So, we probably wouldn't be too far off because just like you, we like to eat good quality food. But the question I have is, this is a Something that I know I, I struggle with is eating well consistently. I, I do not fall into the fitness realm at all. I, I'm just an average person and I'm not a fitness buff, but I know how important food is and I want to eat good food, but me and my wife don't really enjoy cooking. What are some thoughts on how important your diet is and nutrition and how can people listening to this that maybe fall in the same category as me who aren't really foodies think about their food so that it's a priority for them in their path for financial independence? Helen? How to think about food. Well, 
I'm going to say that for folks who find that preparing food is complicated, I think that that's unfortunate because for the most part it isn't. And, I, and I'm sure, Paul, that you've done some research and, and kind of have been trying to hack it yourself. I just think that there is a an attempt to make people believe they can't do it themselves and to make it seem like eating well is a lot more effort than it is. And so my suggestion is to start off with the semi-prepared. So for example, to buy organic leafy greens that are already in that bin that you can just right away serve with a, right. with a quick vinaigrette. Buy the vinaigrette already made, don't make it yourself, and then start looking at the ingredients over time, kind of go, I can make this. You know, it's just, it's a progressive thing. And to me, one of the easiest things, of course, not if you're vegan, but if you do eat fish, to me, there is nothing easier than putting salmon in the oven, just salt and pepper, don't go fancy, in the oven 20 minutes and have a, a salmon and, and salad dinner. That is one of the best meals you could possibly eat. You get everything you need. You get your fish oils in there. It tastes amazing if you like fish. And it's a, it's a no-brainer. If uh, you're not sure about it, grab a pre-cooked chicken and have chicken and, and salad for your supper and have uh, and enjoy that. If you like starches, add a baked potato to it. Again, you can nuke, I call it nuke, you can microwave a, a baked potato real quick. So it's one of those things of what do you like that you know it is easy, keep it a little repetitive at the beginning just to feel like you have that personal mastery of it and that makes you curious for what can I do next? And it's not that different in physical fitness either. Starting with something that seems reasonable, doable, within the comfort zone, and then you start to play on the edges. And once that comfort zone expands, it never goes back. It can't go back because you know better. So, James, I'm wondering, you know, another look would be that the vegan path is a hack to financial independence also. And I know you've talked about that on the Choose FI podcast. Is veganism a way to align all these wishes centrally so that you can both eat well, be healthy and spend less? I would absolutely say so because my wife and I, uh, we're on the other end of the spectrum with the food budget. I think we might spend $160 a month for the two of us. And we like to think that we eat very healthy. We eat, everything is fresh vegetables practically. Um, we don't eat anything packaged. And so I think that it's very easy to, to align all of those things as far as, you know, financial health, uh, physical health and financial independence, because, uh, you know, I know everyone spoke about cooking at home and how that becomes much more convenient and cost effective and different things like that. Um, I think sticking with things that are easy, especially at first, because if there's any barrier of entry, then people that are the least apprehensive about it, they'll be the first that fall off, you know, because they're trying to do too much too quick. And so kind of like Helen was saying, you know, get fish or pre-cooked chicken or different things like that. And we personally use like an Instapot or a crock pot and, you know, you just kind of throw everything in it and, uh, and it cooks itself. You don't have to come home at the end of the day and then try to put everything together. I know families and different things like that, they, they cut into that time, or at least you'd like to think they do if you're wanting to make an excuse and people will try to make any excuse they can if they're not 100% committed to it. So I know it can be hard to do both, or at least the people think so. And just kind of following up on what James said, I mean, I totally agree. Like when we started, so my wife went on this autoimmune diet and it was like an elimination diet and we were cooking everything from scratch. And I mean, the one day I walked in and she was in tears, it was like so overwhelming. 
as you kind of get better over time, like we really simplified. And what we do is we, we've really gotten into meal planning. So, I mean, basically I, I fast every morning, so I don't eat a breakfast. So that eliminates that meal. Uh, for lunch, like basically I just plan it out in a week. And a lot of times it's like a soup or a chili. And I'll just make one big batch and I eat the same thing every day for lunch. Super simple. And then we usually make three meals a week and like we'll make enough for two nights. So that's you're cooking three nights a week, but you're getting six meals. And then that last night, maybe we'll get takeout or we'll do like a breakfast or supper or something really simple. And so, I mean, you can definitely systemize it over time. It's just like with anything, you're going to get better with practice. So I think that first step is the hardest. And then once you just try to simplify and you learn and you get better, and it's just like with anything, the hardest step is definitely just getting started. So Helen, I'd like to transition a little here to a different topic away from nutrition. Paul and I were talking before the podcast, and in a lot of ways, I think of financial independence is a mental health issue. You can argue whether you agree with that or not, but I think a lot of us are now into that mind-body connection. So is physical fitness a way of kind of melding the mind and the body when it comes to financial independence? Well, I think that when you get into physical fitness, there's a side effect of physical fitness, which is it forces, if you're working at or beyond your capability, it focuses you in the moment and it makes you hyper aware of being in the moment. And I think that that is one of the biggest benefits of physical activity that is not covered in the traditional keep everybody safe, do the long and slow stuff. When you do interval training, when you do functional fitness, you are in the moment because it is taking every bit of your mental capacity to be able to survive that moment and then keep going. And I don't think that far away from the micro decisions we need to do for our fiscal fitness, our money management fitness, every micro decision that we make throughout our day will fundamentally change the outcome. So physical fitness, what you do in the moment changes your your physique uh, and your, your system, how your circulatory system works, muscles, everything. And then your fiscal decisions make a big difference to your fiscal fitness. Are you going to have any money in the bank account? Are you going to be debt-free? Whatever it is that you aspire to have, it is in those small decisions that you determine your future. Chris, I'm interested in this because I think most of us in this community probably have somewhat of that type A personality, right? So I think it's really easy for us to focus on our finances, to hyper-focus on it. And I think a lot of us get to financial independence and then there's like this transfer of addictions, right? We're like, we finally let go of the money thing for a moment and we're looking to that next thing that we can transfer our addiction to. Do you think physical fitness becomes one of those addictions? I could see where I could for some people. I mean, for me, I would say not. I think I view my outdoor activities as more of it is a mental health plus more than a minus. Like I grew up in a Catholic home and I've never been able to kind of wrap my head around religion and get into that. And I've tried meditation and I've never been able to really be very effective with that. But when I'm out just climbing or skiing, mountain biking, I just find that I'm so in the moment. Like that's the one time I can just shut everything else off and I'm so focused. It's really almost like a spiritual experience or a, I don't really know how to even explain it. But for me, it's, it's such an integral part of the mental and emotional health. That's why we've chosen to live in an area where we can do that on such a regular basis because it's so important to me. 
So from that kind of mental, emotional free space to James, the world of weightlifting and weightlifters kind of like financial independence people, I imagine are trackers, right? We track what we eat, we track how many reps we did. Are there similarities there? Is part of the connection between financial independence and physical fitness the joy of tracking? I would absolutely say so. If you're looking to progress in any way, it's much like trying to get your budget under control without knowing what you're spending. How are your workouts going to get better if you're not tracking how much weight you're using or how many reps you're doing? And so, you know, I mean, I've got spreadsheets for both budgeting and for exactly what I should be lifting. And so, I mean, you can definitely go down the rabbit hole with that. The other part of it to me is that I put myself through the ringer. Every time I step foot in the gym, it's just like laser focus. And Outside of the gym, I try to apply that same mentality when it comes to you know the real estate that we own or uh, investing. I try to detach myself from it emotionally so that I can make the best decision. And I just sit there and think to myself, after the stuff I put myself through in the gym, surely this is nothing. Like this is absolutely nothing. I can do this. And so I think it increases your mental capability as well. You become a little more not necessarily stoic, but I, I think it might harden you a little bit mentally. I think that uh, measurement is a really important thing. But what I also noticed was, so measurement on the day-to-day, measurement against our performance over the quarter, past quarter, or year-to-year. I think it's nice to track long-term for folks who can stick it out for the long-term. But there's also measurement against your gender, against your age group, and that is as well for physical or physical fitness. And um, one site that is, I think is absolutely fantastic for measuring against other people in your demographic, in your age group, is um, Frugal Fringe is a blogger who has a bunch of different calculators where you can compare yourself in different deciles of where you are with your financial acumen compared to other people as far as how much you've saved or where you are in the income level, that kind of thing. And sometimes I think that can be a really good check on how you're doing. Like for example, if I think that lifting a 20 pound dumbbell for a given exercise is heavy, my mind restricts me from thinking I can do more. But if I find out that a woman of my stature can do 40, all of a sudden my benchmark has changed. So I think that we want to measure, but we also want to benchmark to just see how we're doing and also to see if maybe we want to modify our goals or aspirations. Chris, this took me in a different direction, but I think it has relevance. Does physical fitness help us get over limiting beliefs, both physically as well as financially? I would think that it does. It kind of just challenges you to try harder things and to get over fears. And I think that translates to all areas of life and finance being one of them. So I would say definitively it does. I think the one I kind of was going to go even another direction with what Helen was saying is I like what she says and it kind of helps you get over those limiting beliefs. But I also think you have to be really careful because as you start comparing, comparison can kind of not be good for your mental health and your mental state. I think a lot of people in this community when you start to get into this community, you see what some other people are doing, whether it be physically or fiscally or in traveling or whatever. It's, it's easy to start comparing yourself. And I think that can be not good for your mental health. So that, it's a slippery slope you have to be very careful with. James, that slippery slope, we do especially compare ourselves financially, I think, to other people in this community, but we generally don't with physical fitness. Do you think the financial independence community as a whole is more physically fit than the rest of the world? I have to assume yes, and I'll give you the rationale for why. Uh, I assume that by being frugal 
inherently eat less than probably the typical American would. Uh, Americans as a whole, you know, obese. And so by, by watching how much you're spending on food, you should potentially be eating better and eating lower quantities. And the other part of it would be, I know everybody's a big fan of Mr. My Mustache and riding their bikes and things like that. And so walking to work and hacking that, trying to lower your transportation expenses as much as possible would be another way, obviously, to, to help your physical health. I think as a whole, the personal finance community understands the, the benefit of delayed gratification and that by doing something here that some people might see as a sacrifice, is actually helping myself in the long run. So I think that as a whole, the personal finance community is probably much healthier than I would say a typical subset of the population would be for sure. I think you're probably right, or at least that's what it seems to be. But there is one place, Helen, that I think we take a pass in the financial independence community, and that's alcohol. We talk a lot about physical fitness. We talk a lot about financial fitness. But I go to these meetups, these get-togethers, these gatherings, and alcohol certainly plays a role in all of them. Are we giving ourselves a pass with alcohol and being emotionally and physically healthy? Well, I think that we have to be careful when we have get-togethers with folks. It's not necessarily an indication of what we do the other 51 weeks out of the year. And when I have uh, clients come in, they know that they can look in our pantry, our freezer, and our fridge at any given time to see what it is that we're eating. We're an open book because we want to show we practice what we preach. So, And I think just like that whole comparison thing, I can see how it's a slippery slope. But people are curious and they want to kind of see what's going on in, in your side of things. But I definitely can say that when I'm getting together with my fiscally responsible friend or FI community, that I have more libations than I normally would at home. But it's kind of that party once a year. It's almost like comparing how you eat at Christmas compared to how you do the rest of the year. To me, they're very different. They're moments as opposed to chronic behavior. And so I do wonder if you compared the consumption during those events to what people do the rest of the year. I think it's more of a momentary pass, not a, a constant pass. Chris, do you agree with that? Are we giving ourselves a momentary pass or do we ignore alcohol as a mental health as well as physical health issue? Yeah. I mean, just from my personal experience, I would say it's a momentary pass. I know like, I don't know. I don't know what the other people are doing. Like, I know I can't hang usually. Like I'll, I'll last till about nine o'clock and I go to bed. So for me personally, it's a very momentary pass. I don't drink much alcohol, but I guess you don't really know what other people are doing in their personal lives. James, you and I had a few beers together, certainly at one of the Camp Fies. Is there an alcohol problem in our community or are we just fun to be around at parties? I know that I've partaken more than I usually do here at uh, the Camp Fie that I'm at now, as well as all the ones that I've been at before. I usually stay up later drinking, talking with people, having fun and different things like that. I would agree that it's typically like, uh, for, well, at least for, for myself, I can't again, speak for anybody else like everybody else here has mentioned, but you know, it's not something that I would typically do now. I do think that there is a pass among certain subsets of the group that, you know, like craft beer brewing and different things like that. And it's always one of those things where the extreme optimizers will say, you should not do this. You should not do that. You should not do this. Then they, you know, brew their own beer or they go to a craft brewery and pay a ridiculous amount of money for Saison or Sour or Ale or whatever it may be. I do think that that comes up in an odd way to me because these are the same people that are telling you that you shouldn't buy Starbucks, but they'll go out and buy a 7 or $8 beer. 
I do think that there's both sides. I, I think that most people probably don't, but I think the people that might be in the craft brew subset or maybe even like people that like expensive whiskeys and different things like that, then they give themselves a pass. But it's also one of those things that, you know, you spend on what you enjoy and, uh, and that might be one of the things they enjoy, whether it's a, a benefit or a vice. Yes, leave it to the financial independence community to find a way to hack every vice because when you find us at these FinCons or certainly Camp Fi, we're not bellied up at the bar someplace. We're at some sort of unofficial backroom pile of beer that has not been sanctioned by the hotel in this clandestine libation period. So let's bring this whole thing all back around and get off the topic of extra alcohol. In fact, talk about the connection between financial independence physical fitness, and nutrition. And for those listening, I'm going to give each of you one last say on what you would like for everybody to take away on what we can be doing with our nutrition, uh, FinCon and uh, Camp Fide notwithstanding, and our physical fitness and our daily habits of planning for the future while still being present in the moment. Helen, you go first, please. I would argue that folks need to consider what they put in their bodies and how they move to be an investment in their well-being that may lead to savings from not having to have as many prescription drugs, for example, for chronic conditions, but also more freedom in their decisions because they're less likely to have the constraints of chronic disease, at least that they can have it happen to them later in life than might be other otherwise the case. And to add more life to your ears, I think is a fantastic objective. And I do believe that trifecta can help us do that. I love that. Chris, last words for you on what people should be taking away from how they should be incorporating physical fitness and nutrition in their path to financial independence. I think Ellen said it pretty perfectly. The only thing I think I could add to that is I think all of this is just about living the best life you can live, whether it's your financial health, your physical health, just doing the things to build the life that you want in alignment with your values. And kind of we talked about, but just stacking the deck that you can never guarantee anything, but giving yourself the best chance to have that life. So you want to have the money and the health to enjoy that money. So it all kind of ties hand in hand to me. And James, before you run back off to imbibe and some more tasty libations at Camp Fi, can you share some uh, wisdom advice to our listeners on how to pursue financial independence while also being physically fit and having good nutrition? So I think that, you know, it all comes down to small daily choices that culminate up to a bigger goal, uh, a bigger picture. Financially, that's physically, that's everything, you know, small decisions day to day add up to a big thing. And, you know, it would just be incredibly sad for somebody to do all of these things right and to do everything right financially, to withdraw on the 4% rule forever, despite what Big Earn might say, and to only have died a few years later because they weren't taking care of themselves physically. The goal is to last as long as we can in early retirement, not to make it to retirement age. So I think that the small daily choices that you make add up and, you know, you might have a, a slip here or there, but the other days make up for that. I love this, this idea of investing in the future and applying that concept of investment to your physical health is a compound on that. Your mental health is a wonderful way of thinking about it. So I'll give each of you a chance to promote where you can be found on the internet, on your blogs or podcast or wherever you might be, and a chance to let us know where to find you and what is up next in your life. So Chris, let's start with you. Where can we find you and what's up next? 
the best place to find me is at my blog, caniretireyet.com. And uh, what's up next? I write there a couple times a week. And I've also, I'm in the process of finishing up a book and uh, I keep pushing this back. So hopefully sometime in the first quarter of the year that will be getting published and released. And uh, you'll see a lot more of that hopefully very shortly. Helen, how about you? Where can we find you? And what is up next for you in your life? You can find the fiscal fitness at freetopursue.com. You can find the physical fitness at chrysalisphysiques.com. And you can also find Free to Pursue on YouTube now. So that is where you will see. And as far as what is next, there's going to be a whole lot more video production this year. I have a similar goal for more video production in my endeavors as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing you on YouTube then or checking you out on YouTube with more content. Looking forward to that. James, you, you have the last word on what is up next for you and where can we find you on your blog? My wife and I, we blog at RethinkTheRatRace.com and you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're pretty active on all three and recently Pinterest as well. And what is up next in our lives? We actually have recently hit lean fire and we are planning on quitting our jobs later this year and moving to Europe for at least a little while, hopefully. So that's what's up next in our lives. So Paul, I love this conversation about financial independence and physical fitness. And part of the reason for me is I've always felt they were connected in my head, but I couldn't quite draw the line of why. So I knew that I felt similarly about trying to become financially independent as I did about trying to get physically fit. But I didn't really have the words to put it together into a story that made sense. To me, as I was saying in the podcast, you know, I think that financial independence at its baseline is a mental health issue. And the reason why I say that is if we were all happy and doing great at our jobs and feeling wonderful, we probably wouldn't feel such a rush to become financially independent. But often we see a disconnect. Either we don't like our job or we feel we would like to spend our time doing something else. And that pushes us to pursue financial independence. So to me, it's a very strong mental health issue. And only when I look at financial independence in that light, do I see that mind-body connection. Because I don't think you can have good mental health unless you also have good physical health. So I see that they naturally go well together. And I think only when I look at it through that lens, does it connect to me intellectually the way it always has emotionally. Have you struggled with that connection too? I think the connection is fairly intuitive to me because I think of life having multiple aspects and you, it could be your finances, it can be your relationships, it can be your physical fitness, it could be kind of like your inner spiritual self. And I find that really any one of those can be a trigger for others. Like you just said, when your mental health is in good shape, then you have an easier time of having a good physical health. And then your physical health tends to follow or can follow. I'm not saying it should. And I struggle with what's more natural. Do you focus more on your physical health and that leads yourself into financial health or vice versa? And I'm not sure the order actually matters because I think we're all a little bit different as to what the trigger might be. So it's more about becoming good at laying down habits and removing bad habits habits. And once you get good at laying down any sort of habit, I think it becomes easier to then subsequently lay down follow-on habits that help. So if you're good at tracking your calories for your consumption and eating good quality food and you feel better, 
And if you really install that habit, then it becomes so much easier to later on say, you know what, well, now let's focus on the budget. What can we do with our budget and how can we save more and become more optimal there? And so I definitely think there are some synergies in those two particular aspects of life. Yeah, I also like this idea of risk mitigation because I think we all go into financial independence because we're mitigating risk against catastrophe. So if you go ahead and create a strong financial base, you'll be able to wither the changes that occur as you get older. So financial independence is a type of insurance. I think it was Ellen who kind of talked about physical fitness also being a type of insurance too. We are able to risk mitigate also by being physically fit. So if you look at all the cubby holes of wellness, whether it be financial, fiscal, mental, we're all trying to build these strong, resilient lives. And I think one of the ways we do that is by having adequate insurance. And when you're talking about protecting your family, you're talking about life insurance. Yeah. When you're talking about having enough money, well, you're just talking about financial independence. And when you're talking about worrying about healthcare or being in pain when you're older or having the energy and ability to enjoy financial independence, what you're really talking about is physical fitness. So they all kind of tie together. These are risk mitigation strategies in order to meet that mind-body connection, ultimately to be content, to feel safe, to feel protected. That's interesting. I've never really thought about it in those terms that when we're at least for my motivation, when I first started going down the path of financial independence, the words, well, I'm doing this for risk mitigation is not what followed. That's not a very good sales pitch, I think, for financial independence. But I think you're spot on and that is effectively what you were doing. You are creating this insurance of the sorts so that you have the flexibility and the control to kind of do what you want and be able to handle these conditions coming on later on in your life and your financial things that might happen. But having good physical health also kind of protects you, insulates you potentially from complications from your physical health later on. Yeah. Ultimately, we're trying to ensure that we can live our best lives and that's what's up next. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Ellen, Chris, and James. That's a wrap. We got to know each other. It was a really good conversation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wish we could have recorded that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, the, the back channel chat. We, we missed that one completely, so... No, and this was, I, I really like this conversation because it's just not one you hear much, I think, in this community. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's this definite connection that we don't talk about, about fitness and, and financial independence. So thank you guys for being a part of it. You guys did a great job. I think this episode's going to come out really well. Cool. Yep. Nice. Awesome. Yep. Are you, this, anybody this was a lot of fun. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Anybody going to FinCon uh, next or this year, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. I'm between well, that or I should talk about yeah. All right. Have a good rest of your evening. Thank you guys for being on. We totally appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take, Take it easy. See you soon. Bye. See ya. Bye. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 